as is often the case, sometimes as we kind of get on the song just before I step up, I kind of go in a different zone. And But as I was standing over here, um, just the idea of even when we don't see it, he's working. And we did sing that more than once, uh, but I needed to hear it more than once. <clears throat> and uh, want to start by just acknowledging and apologizing to our friends in the parking lot. Uh, in my great wisdom of deciding to go acoustic uh, inside, it didn't occur to me what that did for you folks out there. Fortunately, Spence uh, uh, pulled my fat from the fire yet again and grabbed a microphone and turned it on. So hopefully you guys picked up some of what we were singing. And if not, I apologize. Um, I'm going to pick my way through Genesis 39 if you want to open your app uh, to that uh, or just follow along as I go through it. I've been talking uh, last week and well for several weeks about success and significance and some lessons from the life of Joseph. And again, I think most people, uh, young and old, have what I call an innate sense of fairness. We all tend to think if we consistently do the right things, then we will consistently experience good things. And when that does not happen, speaking only for myself, when that does not happen, my first response is generally, that's just not fair. And I generally say it either with a lot more emotion or a lot more whine in my voice, but I thought I would spare you from that. Um, After years of experience, and we have had numerous dialogues on this over the years, but I have begrudgingly attempted to accept that sometimes the good things that God brings are not the good things that I want or the good things that I think that I deserve. Once in a great while, God has allowed me to have a glimpse of realizing what he saved me from. Sometimes I realize if he had given me what I wanted, um, I would have not ended well for me. Oftentimes, I just have to take it by faith. But if we pause to look at the big picture found in Scripture, we can see that we tend to live in what I call the short game. But God is always operating with his end game in mind. Whether it makes sense to me, whether I can see it, Whether it seems fair to me, God has his own plan, and I may not always understand it. Again, today, as I've already said, I want you to join me in learning a little bit from the example of Joseph as he demonstrates how to respond in a fashion that accentuates God's goodness, even when life doesn't seem fair. In Genesis 39, there is this cycle of behavior in my opinion, where Joseph repeatedly chooses to do what's right regardless of being treated unfairly. Each time he appears to be punished, even though he's done nothing wrong. But each time he makes the right response, and each time he experiences God's blessing and provision, whether he recognizes it or not. Just the very quick paraphrase of Genesis 39. As we said last week, uh, Joseph is sold into slavery by his older brothers. Well, hey, let me back up. He is sold into slavery by his older brothers after they beat him and planned to leave him for dead in a pit. And then one of the brothers had an attack of conscience and says, eh, maybe we ought to spare the boy's life. Let's just sell him into slavery. And as we left last week, Joseph was being carted off at the hands of a slave trader. As we pick up in Genesis 39, he is sold 
in, as a slave to a member of Pharaoh's inner circle, uh, an official in Pharaoh's court. And he gets there. He's a slave in a foreign land, having been abused unfairly by his brothers. And now he's a slave. But miraculously, Joseph, as a slave, decides, I'm going to step up and I'm going to do the best job I possibly can, even though it's not fair that I'm here. And he does that and experiences some positive fruits. Excuse me. Experiences some positive fruits from his labor. Then he is falsely accused of a sexual assault and thrown in prison. Now again, he's falsely accused. If you're falsely accused, I gotta believe somewhere you're gonna say, that's just not fair. And you're probably gonna say it rather loudly and repeatedly. It's just not fair. But Joseph ends up in prison, and he decides to be a model prisoner. Really? Beaten by your brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, sold again, do your best job, falsely accused, thrown in prison, and your response is, I'm going to be a great prisoner. But that's Joseph's story. I'm going to walk back through that, starting with Genesis chapter 39, and just the first couple verses. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his, as he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So we see Joseph being sold a second time as a slave. And then we see God choosing to bless him in spite of being in a bad situation. And I just want to say, and please understand, it is normally the case, it is definitely the case today, but I'm preaching to the preacher, you guys just get to listen in. Do with it what you want. But it seems to me that oftentimes, God's ultimate blessing has more to do with our attitude than it does with our circumstances. Joseph could have chosen to fuss, to whine, to pout, and to attempt to punish Potiphar by doing the least amount of work possible. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't like you. I'm going to do just enough that you don't kick me to the curb or kill me. But instead, he did the best he could. He could have said, and I might say he was fully justified to say, but I didn't do anything wrong. Here I am a slave. Why should I work hard and be trustworthy? I don't have the answer, but I find myself saying, hmm, I wonder if he had chosen that option if God's blessing in his life would have been the same. Verse 2 as I read, just reminding you, it says, the Lord was with him, the Lord prospered him, and Potiphar promotes him. He does such a good, he's, a, he's been sold into slavery, rejected by his family. He does such a good job, 
as a slave that his Egyptian master promotes him. And then we pick up with verses 3 and 4. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted into his care everything he owned. So again, he's still a slave. He's still in a foreign land. He's still somewhere that he doesn't want to be, and it's not fair. But he does such a good job that even this pagan can see there's something about this guy. And I'm going to trust everything to this foreign slave. God blesses him, and Potiphar promotes him again. And then as we continue in verses 5 and 6, it goes on. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. What a remarkable response for someone who was in an incredibly unfair situation. Not only does Potiphar promote him, not only does Potiphar say, you know what, as long as Joseph's in charge, this slave from a foreign land, I'm just going to sit here and eat and not think about anything else. Betrayed by his brothers, bought as a slave, yet Joseph chose to be such a good and faithful servant that God used him to bless his pagan master. It just makes my head explode that Potiphar put so much trust in a foreign slave. Now, here's just the sidebar comment that's really the price of admission or worth the price of admission. And this is the one that I just struggle to wrap my head around. But based on what we're seeing, God's blessing does not necessarily include the removal of our affliction. We've read repeatedly in those few verses, God prospered him, God blessed him, God blessed others because of him. But at the end of the day, when Joseph lays down his head to go to sleep, in spite of God's blessing and his provision and God being with him, he is still a slave in a foreign land. That has not changed. Now, in my world, I would expect God's blessing to automatically equate to the removal of my afflictions. To me, that's the way the universe should work. Fortunately for all of you, I'm not in charge. Yeah. Wasn't supposed to be that funny, Brian. All right. So let's move. To think about Joseph as a slave of God. Thank you, Belori, for standing on top of my slides when I fell asleep there. I'm convinced that one of the key elements of Joseph's prosperity in the face of extreme adversity and injustice is the fact that he never lost sight of who he was really serving. He wasn't serving his brothers who beat him up, threw him in a pit, and sold him. He wasn't serving Potiphar. He wasn't serving Potiphar's wife. 
he was first and foremost a slave of God. I cannot speak for you, nor will I attempt to. But I know for me, I struggle to remember that when life seems to pass me the short straw. And I thought about that when I put that in my notes. Most of you are old enough you understand the concept of the short straw. But I realized that's yet another one of my illustrations that most people don't get. When life does not go the way I want, I can lose sight of the fact that ultimately I'm God's servant. Not my own and not anybody else's. Picking up verse 6. At the latter part of verse 6, we read, After Potiphar has put everything under Joseph's care, Potiphar just doesn't have a care in the world. We read at the end of verse 6, it says, Joseph was well-built and handsome. It's like, do I care? Uh, But Scripture tells us he's well-built and handsome. He's probably 17, 18 years old. He's in the prime of his life. He is at a point in that era that he is certainly at a point of sexual maturity. And many of you have heard the story before. Uh, Verse 7 says, And after a while, his his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing, wicked thing and sin against God? I trust you caught that. All right. She says, young slave, young man, come to bed with me. He says, no, not having it. He said, your husband, my master, has entrusted everything to me. He's denied me virtually nothing except for my freedom. But who's the sin against? The sin is not against Potiphar. He said, I will not sin. Your husband's been great to me, but I won't sin against God. He understood that he was not Potiphar's slave. He was God's slave. And he said, I won't go there. Yes, out of some respect for your husband, but more out of respect for God. Many of you know the story. Verse 10, And though she spoke with Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Day after day, he said, "Mm, Nope, not happening. I'm God's slave. 11 and 12, On one day... One day he went to the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. Then he left his cloak in her hand and ran. He said no. He said no, and he meant it, and he took definitive action. Which I think was the right thing to do. Okay? So if he did the right thing, then good things should happen, right? Right? Isn't that the way it works? 
When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the, uh, to her ser- excuse me, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came, until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought uh, came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard this story, the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your servant has treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. It's just not fair. He did the right thing day after day after day. And when push came to shove, he literally fled rather than transgress against God. And the result is he's thrown in prison for it. And again, that's a challenging story if we stop right there. But it doesn't stop. The latter part of verse 20 says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This cycle of doing the right thing and getting negative consequences over and over and over again. Yet now he's falsely accused, goes from being a slave in a foreign land to being in prison in a foreign land for being a slave who attacked his master's wife, which was not true. And Joseph's response, guess I might as well make the most of it. Really? And it says God was with him, God blessed him, and provided for him. Now, again, when I read verse 20 and 21, it says, While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, to me, if I were in prison falsely accused in a foreign land, and God says, I'm going to show you favor and kindness, that would automatically mean to me, that means I'm getting out of jail and I'm going home. Seriously. God says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm just going to help you be a really good prisoner. What? That's just not fair. As I read through verses 22 and 23, in spite of grave injustices, Joseph did his part. I can't comprehend how he did it. I just am not that strong. But he maintained a positive attitude. He demonstrated godly character. He was faithful to God and trustworthy toward his master. Then God was free to do his part and provide his presence, provide his blessing, and provide his prosperity. Faithfulness in Potiphar's house resulted in being in charge of everything Potiphar owned. 
faithfulness in prison resulted in being placed in charge of the entire prison. He was still a slave. He was still a prisoner. But I have to ask myself again, and I ask you as you listen, do you think this would have happened if Joseph had copped a naturally understandable attitude and said, but I didn't do anything wrong, this isn't fair, I don't deserve to be here, so I'm just not going to cooperate. I don't think I'm alone in acknowledging that on some level, I grew up, and I suspect many of us grew up, with a subtle sense of entitlement that can make it very hard for us to accept the divine providence of God. We want blessing without having to prove ourselves faithful. God, you bless me and I will be faithful all day long. God, you bless me by leaving me in prison and that just doesn't seem fair. We assume that his blessing, excuse me, I assume that his blessing always results in the removal of all my afflictions. And if I am afflicted, then God is not blessing me. And I suspect sometimes God would like to have a harsh word with me and say, "Um, excuse me, it could be way worse. I want patience, but just like most of you, I want it right now. And I don't want to have anybody test my patience in order for me to learn patience. I... Just If there was just a pill, all right? I mean, one that didn't leave you drooling from the corners of your mouth and not caring about anything. (laughs) We want spiritual maturity without experiencing any growing pains. Did anybody else, when you were growing up, have leg pain? I mean... I wanted to be taller in the worst way. But then I would be awake all night because my legs ached. Maybe I don't want to grow because this hurts. I thought that was going to go away when I got to be a grown-up. I thought it was going to go away when I got to be an old person, and it just doesn't work that way. I want spiritual depth, but I don't necessarily want the blisters that come from digging through the hard ground. I would like to be a person of compassion, but I don't necessarily like the pain that it takes for me to learn compassion. The next time you find yourself saying, it's not fair, I invite you to join me in just pausing for a moment and remembering Joseph. And and friends, can I just say, some of you know the story better than I do. But I just want to say, we haven't even got to the good stuff yet. All right? The really good stuff is still coming, in my opinion. But for me, it's important sometimes to remember that even when life isn't fair, God is still calling me to be faithful because he is faithful, as we sang today. We have to take it by faith, which is not easy. But at the end of the day, in order to go to sleep, I have to believe that when we do our part, he will do his part. 
but it will be in his time and not in my time. And that's the sticking point. I encourage you to join me in asking God to regularly remind us of Genesis 39 and how many times we read of God's blessing and provision for Joseph, even when life didn't seem fair. As we will see, excuse me, as I hope to help us see over the next several weeks, I believe if Joseph had compromised in the short game, he never would have experienced the blessing of God's long game. And to me, that's the beauty of this story. Would you pray with me? Father, I hope I've made it clear, and you know all too well. I sure don't like it when life doesn't seem fair. I do more than my share of fussing and grumbling when life's not fair. So, Father, I pray that you will use Joseph's example to remind me and perhaps to remind anyone else who needs to be reminded that you are always fair and you are always just, whether in my finite understanding or our finite limited understanding we're able to see it or not. And, Father, help us to understand that in your long-range plan, you will bless us You will prosper us. You will be with us for all of eternity in spite of or perhaps because of any and all unfairness that we have to wallow through in this broken world. So, Father, I again, I ask you to continue to speak to me through this passage, and I ask you to continue to speak to others through this passage. We thank you and we praise you, Father.